Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I have a buddy who said, so I just had a 40-plus-year-old with no kids come to the door. <laughs> <laughs> Trick or treating. That is awkward. That's awesome. You should know by that stage that it's time to stop. Well, see, here's the thing. I had a we we had a guy uh, who was in that category, and his son, who was younger than my son, so he was you know sub seven, and they were dressed up as matching horrifying axe murderers. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. and they were they were doing it. Up. It was it was like full on Leatherface. And with a with a sub with, seven year old, yeah, it was not uh, good parenting. Daddy, what is all the catch up for? Did you do your thing? You, you did your whole thing. 
Mostly. I didn't have time to with, with the, the bald contact? cap. Did you do the contacts? I didn't because I figured with no bald cap, why why bother with the contacts? Then what? Then <laughs> all you were was a cowboy. I was the man was in that? black. I was the man in black. I was completely in black. Hmm. All right. So, you know. So that's something. That is something. Although some guy said that I was Garth Brooks. Welcome to the next reel, everybody. This is a place where Pete and I get together every week, and we talk about a movie, and we spoil the heck out of it. And uh, really, it's okay because usually they're they're older, and uh, and we like to talk about them from the top to the bottom, right? Super from to the nuts. Ed, from the ed to the anus. We can be found all over the place. Uh, we can be found over on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Flickchart, on Letterboxd, on Instagram, Pinterest. We we had our our Halloween themed Instagram movie this week. It was Jacob's Ladder, and Kane Black guessed it. And as we've been discussing, he is now entered into the Pony Prize contest along with everyone else who has won up until this point. And uh, we're going to keep uh, keep building and keep throwing all these names into the hat. And at some point, we're going to do a drawing and see who wins the Pony Prize. June 7th, 2018. <laughs> there you go. I wrote that down. I was going to put it as an event on Facebook, but I didn't actually want to invite everybody. Right. Yeah. Pretty That'd good. Awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, what we also would love for all of you to do is head on over to iTunes, give us a positive rating, give us uh, some stars. That's really how other people find us in their little fancy McGancy search engine special stuff that they have going on behind the scenes over there at iTunes. <laughs> I think that's what they actually have on their door. Fancy McGancy. Yep. Fancy McGancy special like a, stuff. Totally sounds like an, uh, an iTunesy thing to do. It probably is. <laughs> it was one of Steve Jobs' you know last that's things. That's his last Eat wish. The creed. Somebody yes. use fancy McGancy. <laughs> You know, and I was thinking, tell me what you think. And actually, I'm stealing this completely from another podcast. But, and I haven't talked to you about it at all. So, oh, good. We're going to talk about it now. And uh, it is what it is. All I right. Guess. I dare you. That's how it goes. Because we, we you know, it, it is great to get these iTunes ratings. And like I said, it does help us. So, between now and the end of the year, everybody who goes over to iTunes and gives us a rating and review. We're going to put your name into a hat, and you will get to give us a movie that we will talk about next year. We'll build it into a series, and we'll talk about it next year. How do you feel about that, Pete? Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm game. Springing that on you? Okay. So it's like yeah. a, this is like a memorial dedication episode <laughs> without right. as much of the memorial part. <laughs> Something like that. We'll exactly. do, a, we'll do a, a, a listener request review. And we will light light candles at the same yes, time. We will. I'm I'm all game for that. Are you kidding? Well, it's gonna be fun. I'm all over it. So head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Starting from now, which is Halloween, through the end of 2013, we're going to collect all those names of people who leave us ratings and reviews. And uh, yeah, one of you will win and get to pick a movie that we're going to talk about in 2014. Should be fun. 
Awesome. We'll see if we can, uh, <laughs> hopefully they're not going to be mean and try to find something worse than Rush for us. They're going to be, they're going to be mean. That's what they're going to do. Now that I know put that, that out because you put it out there. <laughs> we should do trailers. Let's. You go first. I'm going to go I first. Am? No, I'm going to go oh. first because we're going to, you're going to end on a high point, which is relevant to, you know, the Perfect. evening. That's yes, what I'm is. saying. But the movie I'm doing is I'm going to follow your lead a little bit. And I am doing uh, A Perfect Man, uh, Liev Schreiber and Jean yes. Triplehorn. Uh, a, a womanizing husband inadvertently falls back in love with his wife over the phone when she pretends to be another woman. Uh, and this is a movie, I don't know how funny this is going to be. And in terms of <laughs> searching for a romantic comedy, I don't know how funny it's going to be. But, but uh, well, They label it as drama. They so. do label it as drama, but the trailer itself looks uh, sort of funny. Uh, they pick some funny things, and so I'm, I'm kind of putting it there. Now, yeah. uh, apparently it has opened already, probably uh, scarce hours ago, in Hong Kong. <laughs> That's right. Uh, which is strange, I guess. But, uh, it, you know, get ready because it's sweeping the planet. Uh, and uh, it looks, yeah, I really like uh, Lee Schreiber. And I, I have, um, I, I don't know, he's one of those actors I find really compelling to watch on screen. Uh, and um, I, I think he's, uh, I think it's going to be, it's kind of a different role. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have expected him to be taking. Uh, on this particular lead role, uh, Jean Triplehorn, I've uh, I think she's uh, always fantastic, and uh, and so this is um, it, it looks like a clever uh, a, a clever uh, relationship builder. Yeah, there is something kind of sweet about it. it. I mean, it's kind of like goes from kind of creepy to sweet. I can't quite figure out the tone, but. I think there is something really interesting about it. And you're right about Liev Schreiber. I think there's always been something about him that uh, that I find interesting to watch. He's kind of an interesting uh, an interesting character actor that pops up in a lot of yeah. interesting films. And it's directed by Kees Van Oostrom, who is, I mean, this is one of his very few uh, director projects. In fact, I think this is his first theatrical feature film. He's mostly known as a cinematographer. He has 75 credits as cinematographer. I mean, tons of stuff. So it's, this is uh, really one of the first uh, chances he's had to direct an actual feature film. So it'd be interesting. It is. You know, and I, I did want to mention uh, Peter Elkoff um, is, is one of the screenwriters, uh, credited screenwriters of this film. And he, um, he has, uh, you know, he's produced a lot of and, and written a lot of TV uh, and, and so, you know, he was big on, uh, Ugly Betty, did Six Degrees, um, he's, he's been around, uh, writing TV for a long time, and, um, this is, as far as I can tell, his first screen credit, um, or his first feature credit, uh, but, uh, No, he did, he, he did The Education of Charlie Banks. Oh, oh, I totally missed that one, that's right, yeah. that's right, that's right. Yeah. So um, anyhow, that this looks like. Uh, so this would be his second feature credit. Is what I was. Yeah. Is what I meant to say. That's what, right. <laughs> uh, so it, it looks like. Um, I, it's just. I've. It's one of those things. I've been uh, sort of. I, I didn't even know I was following Peter Elkoff, but this this makes it even more interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting between the two uh, writers, Larry Brand and Elkoff. Uh, Elkoff seems to have a lot more of the kind of the comedy sort of stuff in his 
in his body of work. And then if you look at Larry Brand's body of work, Halloween Resurrection, Paranoia, Hard Luck, Michael vs. Jason. So this is the guy who's bringing the dark stuff into the story. The other guy is bringing the light stuff into the story. So two totally different writers. So what's you you are, are keeping with the theme of the evening. Yeah, trying to stick with the romantic comedies uh, for this <laughs> month. And, you know, I was looking for something really just, you know, just had a real comedic bent to it. That uh, The romance, you know, where there's a lot of romance, but I really wanted to find something that was just funny, funny, funny. That also so, involves barbed wire. <laughs> barbed wire. So I went right <laughs> so... for Open Grave. <laughs> The new film was Charlotte Copley from uh, uh, District Nine and Elysium. It's uh, it looks, real, it, I, you know, I really find stories, and I don't know if this is a subgenre that uh, is worth putting on our list, but uh, a subgenre of stories about people who wake up with no recollection as to where they are or why they are where they are, and have to kind of figure it out. And you, I th- yes. And there's not a lot of those, but like Open Grave looks that way. Um, Don't make me Cube. bring out Cube. Oh, oh totally. One yeah. of my very favorite films. Uh, it, despite the the yeah. ending, which kind of fell apart. I mean, I loved the whole concept of Cube. It's Cube, a, just a hypercube, really Cube cool. Zero. Forget it. <laughs> I'm all I, over Cube. I guess so. I've only made it through the first one, but I, I absolutely <gasps> I thought it was great. Well, maybe we'll do a Cube series. <laughs> we should totally do. Believe me, they go downhill from the from Cube. Yeah, but we're right, doing. Right. We should. We, oh. Yes. Uh. <laughs> and then uh, another one that I liked quite a bit was Identity, which it wasn't quite the same sort of thing, but it did involve um, a bunch of people who end up in the middle of the night in, in a rainy, stormy night at this hotel, and they all uh, have to figure out who's picking people off. They, it's not a loss of who memory. Was, wait sort a minute. Who was in that one? John Cusack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that movie. Yeah. That's right. That was, that was good. Yeah, it, it was it it did what it was it set out to do and you know I enjoyed it and it was a uh, it was kind of fun but Open Grave has that look. This is a story about a man who wakes up in the wilderness in a pit full of dead bodies with no memory and must de- must determine if the murderer is one of the strangers who rescued him or if he himself is the killer. Uh, and then there's also it seems like there's a whole bunch of like militarized sort of people coming in. Like I don't really know. It just it looks like a totally strange story, and I really am curious about it. The two writers, Chris and Eddie Bory, really don't have many credits to their name. So I'm curious um, how this script came to be and 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 where it came from. Gonzalo Lopez Gallego is directing it. He's the uh, Spanish director who last directed Apollo 18. The uh, I guess you could say kind of the big um, lost footage bomb that d- didn't do very well. But before that, everything he's done was uh, from Spain. So mm. I, you know, there's something about this that, that really piques my curiosity. So I am I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Open Grave, which opens January 3rd. I'm going to take out Diane Corey. Court doesn't go out. She's a brain trapped in the body of a game show hostess. We don't want to see you get hurt. I want to get hurt. So it's Lloyd and um, uh, let's go out. Oh, thanks, but I'm busy. So you're, so you're monumentally busy? Well, not monumentally. Hi, Lloyd Dalmish. I'm an athlete, so I rarely drink. Kickboxing. I heard of kickboxing, sport of the future. I can see by your face, no. My point is you can relax because your daughter will be safe with me for the next seven to eight hours, sir. 
Maybe Diane Court really likes Lloyd. If you were Diane Court, would you honestly fall for Lloyd? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Andy, so say anything, 1989. How old were you in 1989? Go ahead. 16? I was, I was 15 when the movie came out. 15? A- April 14th, 1989 is when the movie was released. How are you 15? I guess that's possibly true. It's definitely true. <laughs> I, was, I guess I was, six, I was 16. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's the that's the thing, and that's so. How did this how did this movie hit you after uh, after so many years? Well, first, let me jump back to 1989. I saw this on a date, and because it it was kind of the sort of date movie that you would go to, and it was uh, it was good for a date movie. It wasn't, I don't think, quite the romantic teen sort of date movie that I was looking for at the time. I don't think. <laughs> Pray tell. What was well, that? What was that movie? <laughs> I I I don't know what that movie would have been. But this one, you know, it's interesting that this ended up in our romantic comedy series because watching it again, I mean, yes, there are comedic elements to it, but I really watching it this time found it much more of a romantic drama that has some comedic moments rather than a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I think I was hoping it was going to be more of a romantic comedy because I don't recall laughing as much. But I think the girl that I left with was probably more in love with Lloyd Dobler <laughs> than yeah. she was with me. I'm not sure that the movie uh, did that uh, great for our relationship. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Categorically, I have the exact same experience. Yes. Yes. This Lloyd Dobler, uh, I think ruined my love life for a year yeah and i even like, i started wearing a trench coat no, because you? of this movie i did and it was it was not a good <laughs> trench coat it was not a lloyd dobler trench coat oh that's too bad yeah but i had you got to try something i mean you roll the dice yeah that's true when you're 16 I walked around carrying a boombox over my head all the time. But. <laughs> I, I rigged a, a, tru- really a truss <laughs> of hangers and some just some wood and some kindling and just, just to <laughs> hold it above my head so I could, you know, drive. Right. Yeah. No, it was it was um, it was not great. And, and I've OK, so the, the movie didn't. I'll just let me just get it out. It didn't hold up well for me. Um, I, I found it. uh uh, I, I found a lot of sort of half characters um, with some funny moments. Uh, I, I had a real hard time watching Ioni Sky just being on screen. Um, Cusack was funny, but uh, kind of uh, middling to fair sort of interest in what he was doing on, on stage. And I found their general re- thread of their relationship uh, uninteresting. And uh, mostly because, you know, some of the things I liked, I mean, I liked the fact that it was it was kind of counter to uh, the traditional sort of he's a, you know, super nerd or geek or unpopular. And, uh, you know, she is super popular cheerleader. They, they didn't, you know, they didn't go that route. They were I think they were closer to human, um, you know, kids of our age at the time. Uh, and yet I, I still found her. Uh, in particular, just sort of hard to 
uh, hard hard to believe, uh, and and hard to believe his uh, fascination with, you know, with with what she was offering. So great that they found they were starstruck and kind of found one another, and then the movie just sort of plods along with a few moderately interesting moments, and then they introduce this whole conspiracy tax evasion plot, and I, as much as I love John Mahoney. I it was it was like a whole separate movie that I was I would probably would have rather seen. Uh, and so I, you you would have rather seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. I think I would have rather gone to see that. Because the way you said that, you're like, oh, oh yeah. Because it was plot. totally it was like introduces this boat anchor of a plot into a film that's trying to be and 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 possibly it's because this is you know like you said I think I had that very same response. Maybe my expectation was romantic comedy with a Peter Gabriel song in it. And what I got was a romantic drama with a dirge of a plot line of a secondary plot line introduced toward the end of the film that is that that doesn't uh, you know that doesn't um, compel a, me in any direction about their relationship. Uh, I, I just didn't I didn't I didn't love it. Well, it's funny that you say that. <laughs> Why is it funny? Tell me you because you loved it and felt a deeper connection than ever before. <laughs> it's it, actually no. Oh. I actually I had less of a connection to this film than I ever have had. And I I'll tell you right now, I have always had a problem with the tax evasion plot. I have never really it just always felt so tacked on as as this totally. addition to the plot that they're trying to put into the story in order to create uh, this imbalance between the honesty and the dishonesty and this whole idea of being able to say anything, I, I, I never really, I always felt it just kind of, it seemed a little forced to me. A little. I don't think I, I don't think that's how I would have worded it back in 1989 when I watched it. I would have just said it was lame. Um, I, I, I mean, I've never had a problem with Ioni Sky. I actually really like her still um and i like john cusack i feel that the two of them are really honest and i enjoy them it's this it's the subplot and let me defend it for a moment because i understand what cameron crowe is doing in this film i understand the idea of the honesty and i do appreciate the way that he is he's, he's creating this father figure that is seemingly honest and he has this amazingly honest he's created this world where his daughter has this amazingly honest relationship with him and i love that and how she finds lloyd who ends up being also totally honest with her now he is totally not the sort of person that her father wants her to be with he is everything her father is really fighting to get her away from by doing all of this embezzling to get her this fellowship to get her out into you know, a much higher echelon of society. And here she is falling in love with this schlub who only wants to be a kickboxer. And even that, it's only, he only seems to be like, you know, half-heartedly into it. He's not 100%, you know, really being a kickboxer, it doesn't seem. But even with all of that uh, element of, of his 
honesty, which then turns to dishonesty, she learns over the course of the film and how she's always been taught to say anything, but he has been dishonest and hasn't really been saying everything to her. And then along comes Lloyd Dobler, who really is that essence of being able to say anything that that her dad taught her to fall in love with. And here she is falling in love with the guy that basically her dad taught her to love and her dad doesn't want her to love him. And because I, her I dad's appreciate... the model of honesty, it turns out to have been well, the right, liar all right. along. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I appreciate all of that. I appreciate the way that they structured the story to do all of that. But uh, I just had a hard time with it, and I've always had a hard time with it. It still strikes strikes me as just something that just feels clunky. And as much as I enjoy elements in the film, I really found myself this time just kind of feeling like I, I'm, I'm, I've moved past a point where I had a connection to this film, and now I feel like I just appreciate this film from a distance now. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, okay. I, you know, and I, I'm with you. Uh, structurally, I can, I can appreciate what he was, what, what Cameron Crowe was going through. And there are, there are some of the formulaic bits that I think are nice. You know, I like it when he's teaching her to drive. Like, there's some really sort of nice, warm moments. Uh, I, I like the gag with the pen. Yeah. Uh, you know, that in particular is a, it, that, you know, there's that, this nice sequence where dad says, you got to give him a pen. She says, I would never in a million years give him a pen. She gives him a pen. His look on his face is, you know that you should never in a million years have given me a pen. So she gives dad the pen in the end (laughs) when he's in prison. Uh, And it's like that nice little circle of life of the pen, which I I think is a really nice, I, I, it's something that I keep coming back to as as a, a bit of kind of weird warmth in the film, even though his dad is, you know, or her dad is actually in prison. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I'm twenty. What do you think about him going to England? Uh, you know, the whole. I mean, I should start. What do you? Where do you stand on the whole fellowship? Like, do you find that a compelling sort of motivator? I, I don't have any problem with that. It fits the character. It fits kind of what he was trying to do for her. I have no problem with the fellowship. She's the valedictorian. It makes sense for her to be the sort of person who's granted something like that. It doesn't bother me at all. And it really doesn't bother me that Lloyd goes with her at the end. Um, I was never one of those people. I, you know, I guess I'm a, a romantic. I was never one of those people who was just like, oh, well, we'll see how long that relationship lasts. As soon as she's done with school, she's going to totally dump him because she's going to be off dating some, you know, some high, you know, highfalutin lawyer lord. guy who yeah some lord out of the fellowship <laughs> whatever uh, i was never one of those people who doubted their relationship i did find it interesting that after the movie actually i don't recall it being right after the movie but i don't know 10 years later people seem to be going oh i can't i'd love for them to make a sequel to say anything and see did lloyd and diane stay together did they get divorced and run into each other again like what would be the future of lloyd and diane you know people started throwing things like that out there I was never one of those people. I just, in my head, I just always believed that Lloyd and Diane, you know, found the love they were looking for. For her, I don't think it was about, you know, career or or finding a certain class to live in. It was all about finding a person who she could say anything with, and and she found it in Lloyd. And you know, I I don't know. Of course, it may yeah. change when he's not bringing home the dollars and. <laughs> 
<laughs> Who knows? Well, that's uh, <laughs> I guess that's part of my of my problem with it. That that you know I I recognize uh, that you know as, as a genre film, I, I can't come up with a better way to end it. Right. I mean, I the the challenge that I have is that I I don't like that he went with her. Uh, I I don't like his motivation, uh, even though I guess I can see it if I try to put myself back in that 16 year old kind of mindset uh, that, you know, his entire motivation, which he repeats a number of times, is all I want to do with my life is be with your daughter. All I want to do is support your daughter. All I want to do is be with her all the time. Right. I, I never liked that. I felt like that was a, a point of strange sort of character weakness, uh, especially when you have this guy who is who otherwise is a character of strength. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he, you know, he's doing the, the sport of the future kickboxing. He's um, what did that take off? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Like he is he's otherwise he is displaying you know strength he has good friends he's and yet he is you know he's discovered this true love that he wants to be with and he's going to give up everything to to follow her around uh i i didn't like it i didn't buy it i don't find it very redeeming to him now on the flip side if I, as long as i'm armchairing um i i would have liked it even less if she had given up the fellowship to stay with him so either way you have these characters that are giving up you know their identity for the other uh and maybe that was you know Crow's intent uh, was to was to kind of turn the the normal genre, uh, you know, relationship on its ear. Uh, at the time, you, you know, this was it was probably saying more uh, that he gave up everything to follow her. Uh, when you know that was right about when we started hearing a lot of the complaints structurally that oh gosh why does the woman always give up you know everything we go back in film history you look at the you know it's the movies that stand out when. The, the the gender balance is, is turned around. And, and so that's, you know, I get that. Uh, and yet I, I don't find it redeeming for either one of those characters. Well, it the relationship um, did strike me more this time watching, because in my head what I was doing is I was like, who was Lloyd in my high school? Who was Diane in my high school? Can I imagine those two people ever getting together? Can I imagine her going off to England and him just dragging along with her yeah. and everything being totally fine with that? And trying to picture who those people were and how disparate it, they were and <laughs> just trying to see if it would Did actually you, I work. mean, could you come up with any of them? I can picture who the people are. I just can't imagine it ever working. <laughs> yes. Well, fine. I, see, I, yeah, I, I get, you know, I, we went to obviously different high schools. My high school was very small, and so I didn't have very many people to choose from in my mental model of say anything. Yeah. Uh, but there, there were, you know, mine was. Oh man, these there's these two guys they in a band, mm. and like they were the band, drums and guitar, but they were phenomenal musicians, and they both they were like the cool guys with the trench coats, and they they were awesome, and they had the kind of small group of really good friends, and those were the Lloyd Doblers. And they would never in a bazillion years have gone to England. Yeah. It just was not, I just, that just wasn't a thing. I, I've never, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally, well, I'm sure people are going to post on Facebook about this. You, you're just, you're a cranky old man. 
<laughs> and I think that's probably what I'm seeing a lot of is that the movie doesn't hold up. Now, I will say that uh, there are a lot of bit parts in this film that are funny to see. Uh, well, not these... just funny to see, but I also I think uh, in some cases, I think are uh, really some of the high points of the film. Yes. Uh, yeah. Eric Stoltz. <laughs> Eric Stoltz, who now this is an interesting tidbit of information. Eric Stoltz was great as the big twenty-two-year-old hosting this giant end of the school year party. Which does it strike you strange that the the students were all there and the teachers were there? Baby does Newworth, that yeah, you weird? yeah, that and, I thought was in, very weird. And in one of the deleted scenes, um, I'm going to forget his name. He's uh, Homer Simpson. Dan He's Castellaneta. One of, yeah, Dan Castellaneta is there. He's, you know, kind of hitting on Diane. Yeah, yeah, that was not, oh <laughs> my goodness, strange. Not I good. can't imagine going to a party with my teachers when I was in high school. That just seems Well, especially right. a party, like a keg party, where they're, like, putting their keys yeah. in the key bag. Like, that, that's just, that was never a thing. I, you know, yeah. But, oh, but, but back to Eric Stoltz. Not only did he play this little role in the film, he also worked as a PA on the film. A PA is a production assistant. They're kind of the, the low-level gopher on the totem pole in the world of films, usually kind of the people who are just breaking in. He worked as a PA because he told them, he says, I want to get the full experience from all sides. And John Cusack, he'd keep going up to John Cusack saying, can I get you a coffee, Mr. Cusack? And John is like, come on, what are you doing, man? He's just like... <laughs> I'm just trying to learn. So he was seriously working as a PA on this film. I think that is pretty awesome. That is so method. <laughs> uh, I loved seeing Philip Baker Hall. I yeah, loved... he was great in his brief bit. I Very forgot he was brief. in this. Yeah, me too. Uh, China Phillips. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird one. Uh, the one that, that hit me out, because I I'd remembered a lot of the faces, but the one that I didn't remember at all is actually in my favorite scene, uh, likely for me, certainly the most quotable scene in the sequence is the, um, you know, outside the, the choke and puke, whatever it is, the 7-Eleven. Uh, gas and where sip. The gas and sip. <laughs> Can you, that, here's, a, here's one for you. Can you name the reference of the choke and puke? No. Okay, we'll catch up with you next week. I'll give you the answer. Okay. See if somebody can, can guess that quote on Insta, Instagram. I'm going to start posting Quotes my own pictures. We're just going to just start getting messing with people. Uh, I would say uh, that it was uh, Jeremy Piven. Uh, I knew that's who you were going to say. Totally out of left field seeing that yeah. guy. Totally out of left field. Yeah, it was nice seeing him uh, popping up in this. I had forgotten he was in it too. Oh, totally. Uh, so there are, I mean, this is, uh, gosh, is there anybody else? Lauren well, Dean. Let me, yeah, Lauren Dean, who's great as Joe. Joe. I completely yeah. forgot he was Joe. I only remember him from Gattaca and from Apollo 13. Those are the films that, for some reason, I just, I always picture him in. Oh, Enemy of the State. Well, yeah, an Enemy of uh, the State. I completely forgot that he was Joe, he's which Joe, is yeah. like such a great, pivotal kind of character in Lily Taylor's life. And I absolutely love the whole Lily Taylor Joe thing. That to me is one of my favorite things in this film. It is, it, and it, you know her the songs that she's written for him. You know, I I mean I that's, that's another one that's, uh, but but the uh, so those are the those are some bits in this in this film that are and as you said I mean those are those are highlights of the film and uh, let me let me rattle off a few other names real quick though, yes I find it interesting 
especially because and it, it makes sense because Cameron Crowe is such a uh, a film director who is tapped into the world of music. He's done a couple of music documentaries. He was married to Nancy Wilson for a while. Jason Gould is the guy who can't figure out where his house is. Yes. He's Barbara Streisand's son. Yes. Also, the sister of David Lee Roth is one of the girls who asks uh, Diane if she'll sign her yearbook. <laughs> I didn't know that. I know, I know. And then what was the other one? Oh, you already said China Phillips. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just funny. There was just like some interesting little uh, music references in there that I, I thought was pretty funny. And the last one I wanted to mention... And I'm going to not be able to find it right now. But the first assistant director of this film, who was brought on, I believe, um, Jerry Zeismer. Um, he was brought on because he knew uh, the cinematographer. He actually has been in this business for a long time. And did he was the first AD on Apocalypse Now. And in both films, he also acted in them. And in Apocalypse Now, he's the one who says, kill with extreme prejudice. And in this, he is the uh, the lawyer who is you know signing over the deal to uh, you know put uh, Diane's dad in prison. Right, right. So I, I thought that was kind of fun to see him uh, pop up in this one in a small, small role. You know, another one that um, that that kind of snuck up on me is uh, Gregory Sporletter, uh, who was one of the guys, and he you know he, he was oh, in, yeah. a bit of. Uh, John Malkovich and Black Hawk Down, but um, uh, he was also, I think, uh, he he showed up in one of the episodes of American Horror Story, uh, which is a... Did he really? Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, so it it's, uh, yeah, he's, he's sort of all over the place, but... Um, uh, I always remember him from The Rock. The Rock, yeah. That's what I most remember him the for. The Rock's a tourist attraction. <laughs> <laughs> Sir uh, Sean. Yeah, so this is uh what do you think of the uh, of Seattle? Uh, you know, I don't think we planned on putting two Seattle films next to each other. Yeah. I mean, of course we planned on putting two Seattle films next to each other. That's what we did at the <laughs> end of this list. <laughs> and it's going to be a series now. It's a two film series about <laughs> films in Seattle. That's right. You know, I don't know. It's Seattle to me in this film seems like just, you know, every town USA. I don't think it's you're you're Pacific Northwesterner. Yeah. You may have a, a different take on it than I do, but it doesn't strike me as a film that is going, Hey, we're filming this in Seattle. Check no. this out. Here's the space needle. It doesn't it doesn't ring that uh tone for me. It just seems like this is a city where we happen to be filming it in Seattle, but really these are the suburbs. This is where people live. This is people living their life. Yeah. Um, this is one of those films that actually got Seattle. Uh, um, I, I think you're right. First of all, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is, Seattle was not a showpiece in this film, particularly in comparison to sleepless in Seattle, uh, right. where, where, you know, the city was very much part of the, um, uh, part of the characterization of the film. Uh, this one, not only was it not much of a part of uh, the the landscape of the film, other than just a backdrop, they got a lot of it wrong. Like I I, I <laughs> this memory of watching the film uh, in Seattle about ten years ago with some Seattle friends, and uh, they're you know they're 
I, I don't know what it is with Seattle people, but they're really protective of <laughs> the interpretation of their city. And this is just wrong. Like it's it, there were the, the number of times you hear people is like a drinking game. You know, it's like uh, you can't get there from here. You know, you can't right, where right. they're going from where they are. You can't get there. Uh, and, and so, and even though, you know, we're talking, most of the, the landscape of Seattle, they're like back streets, you know, I mean, it's, it's not a, not a big, um, Seattle film still, they're recognizable landmarks and, and, uh, they don't match. But see, and, you know, speaking to that and, uh, you know, not to belittle the people of Seattle. They're and kind and good people and noble they, people. And they love throwing fish. Very careful about this <laughs> that's right not to belittle those wonderful fish throwing coffee drinking people of seattle but there's something about a film that allows the filmmakers to create a different world within that film and i i guess i've never been somebody who has a problem with oh well you know if you turn left on that road it can't it you're going the wrong way you can't get to that place you're in a movie. The, the whole point of making a movie is creating a different world. You know what? They also filmed the inside of a house at one place, and they filmed the outside of a house at another place. You know, it's a movie. It's, no, stop. I, I, no, because you're absolutely— It's a bunch of— it's no, a bunch you're of, turning inside out on this issue. This is not the—if you want to make a movie like that, I totally hear you, but if you want to make a movie like that where it's a, a film in a city, you don't pick a city like Seattle. No, you, I, you pick it, it, Boise. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter what city you pick. Now, if it's something where you're really emphasizing the city and you're going, hey, here's the Space Needle. Hey, here's the, the fish market or whatever that place is called. Then, you re then you're probably wanting to make things line up a little more. Uh, but on the whole, I don't think it matters. I think it matters and there is no whole. <laughs> It, it matters sometimes. And I think in this case, you set a movie in Seattle, there are certain expectations. Seattle is a city of expectations. Yeah. That's well, what apparently I'm those, those, what do you call them? Seattleians? Oh, my God. Seattleians? Seattleites? Yes. You just, you call Seattleish, Seattleitians? <laughs> is that what you called them? They're Seattleicious. I don't know. I. <gasps> Oh, dear. I would just like everybody to know who's on the West Coast. <laughs> I live in Portland. I visit Seattle often. It is lovely. The fish is fantastic. Andy doesn't, Andy doesn't know me. what he is talking about. <laughs> you call them Seattleites? I call them friends. <laughs> uh, did the Seattleites ever go up and uh, look at the satellites? <laughs> Oh my God, the digging, the digging you are doing. I really do love Seattle. I'm going to move there one day. What do you know day, of so. Seattle? You're not, no, you won't be allowed. They'll I'm never give you a license. Needle and go throw some fish. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So that was a, an excellent digression. I'm really glad I asked what you thought about Seattle in this film. I am too. Oh, I got all that off my chest. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, w it, let's see. What else do we need to talk about with the landscape of this film? Um, this is a film where it takes place in Seattle. Unlike Sleepless in Seattle, there was a lot more rain in this film. Yeah, they did a good job about Seattle. this. There, there were sequences <laughs> where it was actually raining indoors in this film. <laughs> the sequence when he's in the phone booth, which, first of all, phone booth, right? 
Awesome. Oh, the good old days. Uh, he's actually in the phone booth. He had to walk like 10 feet from the from his car to the phone booth, and he was drenched like he'd been swimming. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say about that. It's a phone because... booth with no roof on it. That's, <laughs> That's what it right, was. Exactly. No, I will say this about, about that, because I know people like Lloyd who, when they are... when a breakup happens they will just like they don't care whether it's yeah. uh, raining whether it's snowing sleeting they will walk in despair for hours just lost in their own minds so i have no problem that he's as drenched as he is cuz i lloyd is the sort of character that i totally think is just completely you know <laughs> lost in himself at that moment and actually Sorry to change the subject, but real quick, going to the big moment of this film, which is the iconic image of Lloyd holding the the giant boombox over his head outside her house playing Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. Something that I did notice this time that I don't know if I ever really caught on to quite as much in the previous times I've watched this, but it's when I saw Lloyd doing that this time... I think I've always kind of felt that he was kind of pleading for her to come back. He's playing their song. This is the song when they were in the back of the car. They were, it was the first time that they both had sex. There was something in that moment, and he was playing that song. I always felt like he was, it was kind of like, remember the good times, come back to me. This is the first time I actually noticed that Lloyd kind of has an angrier look on his face. And I think that in some way, he's he's almost playing the boombox. Yes, he does. He's trying to do that. But at the same time, I think there's some anger toward her. And in, in a way, it's almost like he's trying to stick it to her, making her have those memories and those emotions and feel those things that they felt back then uh, to hurt her. And in, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's 100% right, but that's totally what I was feeling this time when I watched that. It, when I looked at his face, there's there's a little bit of that anger in his face, and I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That was a scene that I had... It, my, my sense memory of it was that it had resolved. You know, they make such a... It, it, it's such an iconic scene, as you say, that, that, you know, over the years, you just sort of remember it as as part of the romantic resolution of the film, and it really isn't. It's it's not the romantic resolution of the film. And, yeah, not at all. And... Uh, um, it's you know it's it's the one that you sort of hope would be the romantic resolution of the film in your 16 year old lizard brain that if I just hold the boombox high enough mm-hmm. uh, and and so that it's 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 a little bit satisfying on that on that level and I I, I see what you're I see what you're saying yeah I, I I actually really enjoyed that a lot more this time seeing that there was something um more going on in his head than just get back, come back yeah. to me, come back to me, you know, that sort of thing, well, which I think would have taken away from it. Yeah, and you know, this comes on the heels of his, uh, of, of the drive through Seattle, you know, and I, that, that's one, uh, another uh, bit that I, I quite liked, which where, where he's talking on the tape recorder, which, yeah. you know, tape recorder, <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, he's saying that's, that's, I'm uh, going back and forth between, I'm, I'm never going to, I, I'm just, I'm going to wash her out of my head. I'm not going to think about her ever again. That's where she broke up with me. I'll never forget that ever in my life. Like that's a, that's a really, uh, a, a kind of a, a nice uh, bit of breakup, uh, sadism, um, th- that, that I think, uh, Crow has written there. I think it was, uh, that that was a pretty real bit. I, that's one that I can. I not only can I picture myself doing, I remember myself doing. You know, back at the in those days. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, I liked uh, I liked the Cusacks, the the siblings Cusack. Uh, yeah, and I I didn't remember. I, I guess I've never looked at the credits that closely. But Joan Cusack is not credited at all. No, it's actually an uncredited role for her, which is weird. I don't know why she. It's not like a you know just a random thing. Right. Not like like a bit part. It's a it's she's got a role yeah. as his sister. Yeah, and it's not like Dan Castellaneta, who wasn't credited because his scene was cut. <laughs> so, so why? I don't know. It's really weird. Why didn't they credit her? Yeah. I don't know if it, you know, it does happen sometimes where like an actor will do something and she could have been doing this as a favor to her brother and maybe she didn't get paid. So because of that, she couldn't go through uh, SAG and because of that, SAG wouldn't let her be credited. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's entirely a possibility the way that all that stuff sort of works works out but um, interesting it's not like it was you know it, she hadn't done anything before this i mean she had already been acting quite a bit so hmm. i think she wasn't it wasn't she was she uh, i know she was nominated for an oscar um but i don't think it was this i think oh no she was she was nominated for an oscar the year before yeah, for, for a working, working girl, girl. Yeah. yeah and in and out Yes, that's right. Yeah. Not the year before. <laughs> no. No. Uh yes. Uh so she's she's obviously very funny and um yeah, and it was fun and, to see her too. This was yeah, this was like looking this movie watching this movie again was like looking through a yearbook. You know, every everybody in this movie takes on a role that somebody that I had in my life at the time it was it was a, a charming kind of walk down memory lane that has um, a precious little substance uh, for me anymore. And I think a lot of it is just because of its of the context sensitivity of the film. And and you know, I was thinking a lot about Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, when we we opened our very first show of then movies we like with a conversation about Raiders of, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and why it has such a, um, a um, connection to us because of the context. You know, that was, that was our movie. You know, it was me, for me, it was, it was my movie with my dad, you know, for the same right. reason that Star, the, the Star Wars, um, the original Star Wars trilogy has such a connection for me, and yet my own kids, um, you know, it's, it, they like it enough uh, but but they don't have that same sort of vibe that I did, uh, yeah. and and this movie I, I think she, I went into it hopeful that it was going to be that sort of experience, um, but it it just wasn't, and I think it's because that time in my life was just like for many of us I think it was just awkward and ultimately uh, pretty forgettable, uh, and thankfully so, um, you know I've sort of moved on, and like for this film I've. I've sort of moved on. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I have. It's, it's like, uh, you know, a, a love from a long time ago that, you know, it takes a while to kind of get over or something, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm past that now. This is a film I think I'm kind of past now. And, I mean, I still, like I said at the beginning, I can I can still appreciate it. I just don't, I don't feel the same about it that I did. Uh, what's interesting to look at, you know, so what is, uh, let's do just the numbers real quick. So how did this film do? You know, this film, there's nothing anywhere that I could find about what they actually spent to make this film. I, I really have no idea. And, uh, you know, it did okay for itself when it was released. Interestingly, this was a film that the studio, when they made this film, they didn't know what to do with it. Because it, it is kind of this 
mix of genres. It's not really quite a romantic comedy. It's not quite a, just a, a straight-up dramedy or a drama film. It's not a teen film. It's not an adult film. The studio didn't know what to do with it. The studio actually was a little upset with him and wanted him to change the ending so that the dad was found not guilty, which really doesn't surprise me the way the studios are. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were really struggling, and uh, James L. Brooks, who was one of the producers, Polly Platt, who was a producer on the film, uh, Cameron Crowe, they were all very concerned about what was going to happen to this movie that we made, and they were afraid that it was going to kind of get dumped and nobody would ever find it. It ended up getting um, a great notice from Siskel and Ebert. They both totally loved it, and Pauline Kael loved it, and the critic reviews all started coming in, and they all loved it. And that helped it find its audience. Because of those reviews, the studio's like, oh, okay, this isn't a, a, a film that doesn't have a genre. We're okay releasing this, and so the studio actually did put it out there, and and it did pretty well for itself. I like I said, I don't know what it cost to make, but it did okay. It made just it almost almost made twenty one million dollars domestically. Um, internationally, it's not almost not even worth mentioning. It really didn't do well internationally. It didn't even break a million internationally. Hmm. Um, adjusted total gross. Um, this was 1989, so adjusted, it almost made $40 million total in today's dollars. So, you know, it didn't do too bad for itself. Um, I, I'm guessing that it made a profit, and it certainly is one of those films that has since found its audience on on video, on DVD, and Blu-ray, streaming. That's really where the film has uh, found its lasting audience. You know, it was released in an... Uh, unbelievable year for movies. Yeah. Uh, the the highest grossing movies uh, in 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Batman, Back to the Future Part 2, Look Who's Talking, Dead Poet Society, Lethal Weapon 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Ghostbusters 2, The Little Mermaid, Born on the Fu- 4th of July for the top 10, but includes, it was a Bond year, we had License to Kill, Driving Miss Daisy, um, we had uh, Black Rain, by, when uh, Michael Douglas, um, Steel Magnolias, The Abyss, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, a good year. It was a good year for for memorable films, and uh, so this, you, you know, um, it was a tight field. It was, but yeah. that being said, I mean, it's still a film I saw that year. It's yeah. a film I remember, and it's, I mean, even though I don't, uh, I don't love it as much as I did back then. I think that I will always still have uh, kind of a memory of it that I cherish, uh, remembering the love that I had for it. This is one that I, I, interesting uh, that I, I agree with you. I mean, I'll remember, I'll, I'll cherish the little beacon of love that I have for my memory <laughs> of this film. But I watched much of it with my wife, and uh, we we couldn't watch it in one sitting. We both yeah. got bored too fast, and so we watched it. She actually gave up on it. And I think that's really telling. That this is a this is a film that, you know, ostensibly was supposed to bring couples together as they find their true love, and this one actually drove us apart. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully not in any permanent capacity. <laughs> um, so, okay, shall we uh, shall we rank this thing? Yes, let's do it. Now head over to Flick Chart. Flick Chart dot com slash 
the next reel. And you will find the next reel list of ranked films. Every film we've done, a hundred and some odd. However many, what one? This will be, be 117. 117. 117 films we have we have uh, uh, reviewed and ranked on this show. And so you can find the list. You can see how your ranking uh, relates to ours. Make sure to friend us over there, and we'll friend you right back and compare lists. And that's what we do. All that good stuff. Bring it. All right. Say anything or the born identity. Born identity. Yep. Say anything or clute. Clute. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this I, is I, the opening scene of Ghostbusters. <laughs> uh, three wavy lines. <laughs> uh, say anything or the Wolverine. I would go say anything over the Wolverine. How much would you? Pretty much. <laughs> I, I hope to never watch the Wolverine again. I really just really didn't like that movie. <laughs> Okay. I would much rather watch Lloyd holding his boombox up. I would love to watch Lily any every scene with Lily Taylor more than the Wolverine. Uh, You've got to give me Lily Taylor. Joe lies <laughs> when he cries. Don't you ever think it? <laughs> That'll never be me. That'll never be me. That'll never be, never be, never, never be me. <laughs> yeah, that was that. She's that's a good bit. You're Lloyd. I, here's the 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 problem uh, is that I think there are movies. I mean, the the Wolverine is kind of low on our list. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Therefore, it has to be better than it. It can't okay. drop. All it. right, I'll, I'll, all right, fine. Let's do it. But we'll, I'll give you this for Lily. Hey, for Lily. For Lily, say anything or we're no angels. We're no angels. I actually would pick We're No Angels. <laughs> I would. I love the com- comedy of those guys. It's just there's something about it that I really enjoy. So, not to say anything oh, bad about say anything, but I would pick We're No Angels. Say anything or Major League. Both Major, 1989. Major League. Both 1989 films. Yeah. I, I would pick Major League. Say anything or Key Largo. Key Largo, please. I would pick Key Largo. Say anything or <laughs> or you're next. It's <laughs> favorite film oh that we've talked about. Goodness, this is this is Sophie's choice. <laughs> oh, That's what on. this is. It is not that bad. It is nowhere. I, in... I'm gonna say say anything. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, this might be. The first film that we've talked about, oh, maybe not, I don't know, one of the first films that we've talked about that actually, when we first rank it, is not in our top 100. This now is 102 out of 117. Wow. Wow. I know. It's a film I really loved, but uh, watching it again, it just didn't really jive with me. Here's the thing that this made me think as I was kind of looking at this. We didn't talk explicitly about Cameron Crowe. I don't think, but there, I as I went back to look at the at the film, and I've seen just about all of them. Uh, it is amazing how just binary my relationship is with his films, right? I either I either really like them or I just really don't. I don't connect with them, you know. I just I see them once, and I you know if I get through them, then great. Uh, 
Otherwise, I just sort of move on. And and I, I get the feeling that some of our, our kindred spirits are like that as well. You hear, um, you know, uh, the goodly Sarmento's response to Almost Famous, and we feel like we should have a gurney present. I tell you, I know. Um, I love Almost Famous. I love Jerry Maguire. Yes. Yeah, those two. I, but you, you bring out, uh, you know, We Bought a Zoo and Vanilla Sky and... Um, well, I'll be honest, I haven't, this. Seen, yeah, I haven't seen either of those. Um, I, and I haven't seen any of his documentaries. I think uh, it's safe to say that Say Anything was in my three that I really liked of his. And now I'd say it's, it's in the middle ground where Singles hangs. Yeah. Uh, Vanilla Sky is, is one I absolutely just hate, hate, hate. Um, and again, I haven't seen Elizabeth Town or We Bought a Zoo, so I can't really speak to those but yeah yeah so i you know it makes me not want to watch almost famous or jerry Maguire again seeing this movie i just rewatched almost famous and i still, still i still absolutely love almost famous okay I good think all right that's good there's something about that film that interestingly i think there's an interesting comparison between lloyd dobler and uh the kid in almost famous who i'm blanking on his character name oh, patrick uh, something uh, no, William. 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 William Miller. Yeah, Patrick Fugit. Patrick Fugit. But yeah. his character, William Miller. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting comparison between the two in the fact that they both have this optimistic uh, zest for life. They both fall for these kind of unattainable women. And I, I, it's almost, there's an interesting kindred spirit between the two films. But watching Almost Famous again, it really holds up for me. I really connected with that film. I, I love the film. Um, and I, I just felt like, I mean, I think it, uh, you know, that and Jerry Maguire, I think, are really uh, just great films. And I just say anything. It, it's his first film. I mean, it's Cameron Crowe's first film. And it just, it felt a little uh, sloppier this time. I just think, you know, the the clunkiness of those two plots, they just don't jive for me. Yep. Yep. So. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Where do we go from here? We're finished. This is it, right? Put a fork this in it. This is it. it. We did our romantic comedy October series, and oh. uh, we are done with it. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to say, I love I love these romantic comedies uh, for the most part. I think we talked about some great films. And, um, you know, it was a fun series. And uh, I guess next year we'll probably just get right back to our horror, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody everybody's learned some lessons here. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I enjoyed these films. I, I had a harder time watching them, I think, collectively, uh, as many of them in a row, uh, as we did five, you know, five weeks in a row. And, and of the, because it's not my, this is not my native genre. Yeah. But I, I quite like, and some of them, you know, obviously, uh, Sleepless in Seattle was a, was a fantastic. I'm a big fan of 500 Days of Summer. Uh, well, I, I, about a boy is I, I mean I think about a boy is, yeah. is you know I mean it's it's I think it is uh, along with probably Sleepless in Seattle are, are a couple that are in right. some of my top you know hundred films probably yeah no I agree I I think we we picked some great films and I think we picked some films that were um, not um, th- that were sort of genre busters in their way and yeah. uh, for for some reason or another and i i appreciate that we did that and and in this case i think maybe the lesson is it it wasn't genre busting enough 
Yeah. Um, and, and well, uh, so. to that point, though, I will say it, it, it was genre busting in the fact that it wasn't an out and out teen romantic comedy. Yeah. It actually put it. I mean, I, I will give them credit. He really made it a much more real world dramatic story that, I, you know, I guess maybe people weren't expecting to see. No, and, and, and I said, I mean, I, like, as I said before, I, I felt like these characters were about uh, as human uh, of the high school graduate cast as I've, as I've seen. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, 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 I get that still. Anyway, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm a little bit glad to be kind of moving on. <laughs> well, more, more we're than moving on to something that you should really enjoy talking about, right? Oh, yeah. Which is? This is your series. We're going to be jumping into uh, a short and sweet uh, David Mamet series. We are. Uh, and we're Specifically, st- David Mamet, uh, films that he wrote and directed, right? Right, right. Uh, and, and so that means that we're not doing some films that I think others may expect us to do. Uh, for example... In this particular series, we're not doing uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. The verdict. Uh, right, the verdict. Uh, we're doing, uh, in, instead, we're moving right on to uh, The Spanish Prisoner, uh, which is, uh, uh, that's the first, and we're going to be, uh, we're going to wrap up the series the next week. Uh, <laughs> it, it is short. It is a short little series. It is, with, uh, with Red Belt. And I have a feeling, you've never seen Red Belt, right? I've never seen Red Belt. Yeah, I, I have a feeling you're going to to like Red Belt. Um, have you seen Spanish Prisoner? I have. You yeah, have. I think yeah, we, saw okay. it, we saw it together. Oh, oh, that's right, we did. Wow, those were the days. Yes. Um, so I, you know, it, it, Mamet has has some awkwardness uh, to him, I think, as a as a writer director, and I I look forward to to digging into this. He's he's one of my favorites, but you know, I recognize that I may be in an island. <laughs> I, case, I have I'm, I have a uh yeah I I have a um I don't even know what to say I have a relationship with David Mamet films that I don't always understand. <laughs> <laughs> the uh you know the interesting thing about David Mamet and then we'll we'll save the rest of it for next week is that um um uh, no, we're going to save it for next week. I don't want to spoil it. Okay. I'm going to just save it. I'm not going to say any more. I'm excited about it. Uh, and so this will be, I, I think, the, the films, the other films, that we have places for them in other series. So, so David Mamet will show up again. Uh, yeah. Some of the, the bigger classics. We've got some other series brewing that will fit those in. So uh, that's, that's where we are. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey, good talk, man. Good series. Indeed, yeah. I gotta, uh, I gotta go nurse a wicked sugar hangover. <laughs> nurse it with some pixie sticks. <laughs> Hair of the dog, my friend. Hair of the dog. <laughs> You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. 
For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Okay, we're going to play a little game, Pete. I'm going to name a series from season three, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Oh, <laughs> you and your games. All right, first up, drama of the Brothers Cohen. Okay, that's super easy because the Cohen brothers so rarely do adaptations. It's no country for old men. Okay, how about rom-com? Okay, let's see. Not Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, about a boy. Yep, one more. Hmm. Uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist? There it is, you got it. We have covered lots of great movies that started as books, and most of those are on Audible. Books like Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Being There, or The Day of the Locust. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and City of God. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but it takes a lot of time. We have dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and they have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now, we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out. And you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. Audible. 